Prime Wave at Blandings, five. Jane was in excellent spirits. Hello, Uncle Clarence, she said. Having a look at the roses, I've sent that letter off to George, Uncle Clarence. I got the boy who cleans the knives and boots to take it. Nice chap. His name is Cyril. Jane, said Lord Innsworth, a terrible, ghastly thing has happened. Baxter was outside the window of the writing room when we were talking, and he heard everything. Golly, he didn't. He did. Every word. And he means to tell your aunt. How do you know? Read this. Jane took the note. Hmm, she said, having scanned it. Well, it looks to me, Uncle Clarence, as if there was only one thing for you to do. You must assert yourself. Assert myself? You know what I mean. Get tough. When Aunt Constance comes trying to bully you, stick your elbows out and put your head on one side and talk back to her out of one corner of your mouth. But what shall I say? Good heavens, there are hundreds of things you can say. Oh, yeah? Is that so? Hey, just a minute. Listen, baby. Scram. Scram? It means, get out of here. But I can't tell Connie to get out of here. Why not? Aren't you master of your own house? No, said Lord Emsworth. Jane reflected. Then I'll tell you what to do. Deny the whole thing. Could I do that, you think? Of course you could. And then Aunt Constance will ask me, and I'll deny the whole thing, categorically. We'll both deny it categorically. She'll have to believe us. We'll be two to one. Don't you worry, Uncle Clarence. Everything will be all right. She spoke with the easy optimism of youth, and when she passed on a few moments later, seemed to be feeling that she was leaving an uncle with his mind at rest. Lord Emsworth could hear her singing a happy song. He felt no disposition to join in the chorus. He could not bring himself to share her sunny outlook. He looked into the future and still found it dark. There was one thing that took his mind off the dark future, only one means of achieving a momentary forgetfulness of what lay in store. Five minutes later, Lord Emsworth was in the library reading Whiffle on the Care of Pigs. But there is a point beyond which the magic of the noblest writer ceases to function. Whiffle was good, no question about that. But he was not good enough to purge from mind such a load of cares as was weighing upon Lord Emsworth. To expect him to do so was trying him too high. It was like asking Whiffle to divert and entertain a man stretched upon the rack. Lord Emsworth was already beginning to find it difficult in concentrating on those perfect prose, when any chance he might have had to do so was removed when Lady Constance appeared in the doorway. "'Oh, here you are, Clarence,' said Lady Constance. "'Yes,' said Lord Emsworth in a low, strained voice. A close observer would have noted about Lady Constance's manner, as she came into the room, something a little nervous and apprehensive, something almost diffident 
but to Lord Ensworth, who was not a close observer, she seemed pretty much as usual, and he remained gazing at her like a man confronted with a ticking bomb. A dazed sensation had come upon him. It was in an almost detached way that he found himself speculating as to which of his crimes was about to be brought up for discussion. Had she met Jane and learned of the fatal letter, or had she come straight from the interview with Rupert Baxter, in which that injured man had told all? He was so certain that it must be one of these two topics that she had come to broach that her manner, as she opened the conversation, filled him with amazement. Not only did it lack ferocity, it was absolutely chummy. It was as if a lion had come into the library and started bleeding like a lamb. All alone, Clarence? Lord Emsworth hitched up his lower jaw and said, Yes, he was alone. What are you doing, reading? Lord Emsworth said, Yes, he was reading. I'm not disturbing you, am I? Lord Emsworth, though astonished, nearly robbed him of speech, contrived to say that she was not disturbing him. Lady Constance walked to the window and looked out. What a lovely evening. Yes. I wonder you aren't out of doors. I was out of doors. I came in. Yes, I saw you in the rose garden. Lady Constance traced a pattern on the window sill with her finger. You were speaking to Beach. Yes. Yes, I saw Beach come up and speak to you. There was a pause. Lord Emsworth was about to break it by asking his visitor if she felt quite well when Lady Constance spoke again. That apprehension in her manner, that nervousness, was now well marked. She traced another pattern on the windowsill. Was it important? Was what important? I mean, did he want anything? Who? Beach. Beach? Yes. I was wondering what he was talking to you about. Quite suddenly there flashed upon Lord Emsworth the recollection that Beach had done more than merely hand him Baxter's note. With it, dash it, yes, it all came back to him. With it he had given his month's notice, and it just showed, Lord Emsworth felt, what a morose of trouble he was engulfed in the fact of this superb butler handing in his resignation had made almost no impression upon him. If such a thing had happened only as recently as yesterday, he would have constituted a major crisis. He would have felt that the foundation of this world was rocking, and he had scarcely listened. Yes, yes, he said, and if he remembered correctly. Yes, 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 all right, or words to that effect. Bending his mind now on the disaster, Lord Emsworth sat stunned. He was appalled. Almost since the beginning of time, this super-butler had been at the castle, and now he was about to melt away like snow in the sunshine. It was frightful. The thing was a nightmare. He could get on without beach? No. Life without beach would be unsupportable. He gave tongue, his voice sharp and anguished. Connie! Do you know what has happened? Beach has given notice. What? Yes, his month's notice. He's given it. Beach has. And not a word of explanation, no reason at all. 
Lord Emsworth broke off, his face suddenly hardened. What seemed the only possible solution of the mystery had struck him. Connie was at the bottom of this. Connie must have been coming, the grand dam on the butler, wounding his sensibilities. Yes, that must be it. It was just the sort of thing she would do. If he had caught her being the old English aristocrat once, he had caught her a hundred times. That way of hers of purse, pursing the lips and raising the eyebrows and generally doing the daughter of a hundred earls stuff. Naturally, no butler would stand it. Connie, he said, adjusting his pince-nez and staring keenly and accusingly. What have you been doing to Beach? Something that was almost like a sob burst from Lady Constance's lips. Her lovely complexion had paled, and it, in some odd way, she seemed to have shrunk. I shot him, she whispered. Lord Innsworth was a little hard of hearing. You did what? I shot him. Shot him? Yes. You mean shot him? Yes. Yes, yes, I shot him with George's air gun. A whistling sigh escaped Lord Emsworth. He leaned back in his chair, and the library seemed to be dancing old country dances before his eyes. To say that he felt weak with relief would be to underestimate the effect of his extraordinary communication. His relief was so intense that he felt absolutely boneless. Not once, but many times during the past quarter of an hour, he had said to himself that only a miracle could save him from the consequences of his sins, and now the miracle had happened. No one was more alive than he to the fact that women are abundantly possessed of crust. But, after this survey, even Connie could not have the crust to approach him for what she herself had done as well. "'Shot him?' he said, recovering speech. A fleeting touch of the old imperious return to Lady Constance. "'Do stop saying shot him, Clarence. Isn't it bad enough that I have done a perfectly mad thing without having to listen to you talking like a parrot? Oh, dear, oh, dear!' "'But what did you do it for?' "'I don't know.' I tell you, I don't know. Something seemed suddenly to come over me. It was as if I was bewitched. After you went out, I thought I would take the gun to Beach. Why? I, I, well, I thought it would be safer with him than lying about in the library by itself, so I took it down to the pantry. And all the way there, I kept remembering what a wonderful shot I had been as a child. What? Lord Emsworth could not let this pass. What do you mean? You're a wonderful shot as a child. You've never shot in your life. I have. Clarence, you were talking about Julia shooting Mrs. Mapleton. It wasn't Julia. It was I. She had made me stay in and do my rivers of Europe over again, so I shot her. I was a splendid shot in those days. I bet you were, weren't as good as me, said Lord Emsworth. I shot the rats. So used to I shoot rats? How many rats did you ever shoot? Oh, Clarence, Clarence, never mind about rats. No, said Lord Emsworth, called to order. 
No, dash it. Never mind about rats. Tell me about beach business. Well, when I got to the pantry, it was empty. I saw a beach outside by the laurel bush, reading in a deck chair. How far away? I don't know. What does it matter? About six feet, I suppose. Six feet, huh? And I shot him. I couldn't resist it. It was like some horrible obsession. There was a sort of hideous picture in my mind of him jumping up, and so I shot him. How do you know you did? I expect you missed him. No, because he sprang up and then saw me at the window and came in and said, "Oh, Beach, I want you to take this air gun and keep it." He said, "Very good, milady." He didn't say anything about you shooting him, no. And I had been hoping and hoping that he had not realized what had happened. I have been in agony of suspense, but now you tell me that he has given his notice. So he must have done, Clarence," cried Lady Constance, clasping her hands like a persecuted heroine. "You see the awful position, don't you? If he leaves us." He will spread the story all over the country, and people will think I'm mad. I shall never be able to live it down. You must persuade him to withdraw his notice, offer him double wages, offer him anything. He must not be allowed to leave. If he does, I shall never. Shh. What do you mean, shh? Oh, ah," said Lord Emsworth, at last observing that the door was opening. It was his niece Jane who entered. Oh, hello, Aunt Constance," she said. "I was wondering if you were in here. Mister Baxter's looking for you." Lady Constance was distraught. Mister Baxter? Yes, I heard him ask Beach where you were. I think he wants to see you about something," said Jane. She directed Lord Emsworth a swift glance, accompanied by a fleeting wink. Remember. Said the glance categorically. Said the the wink. Footsteps sounded outside. Rupert Baxter strode into the room. At an earlier point in this chronicle, we have compared the aspect of Rupert Baxter when burning with resentment to a thunder cloud, and it is possible that the reader may have formed a mental picture of just an ordinary thunder cloud, the kind that rumbles a bit. But does not really mount to anything very much. It was not this kind of cloud that the secretary resembled now, but one of those which bursts over the city in tropics, unundating countrysides while thousands flee. He moved darkly towards Lady Constance, his hands outstretched. Lord Emsworth, he ignored. I have come to say goodbye, Lady Constance," he said. There was not many statements that could have roused Lady Constance from her preoccupation, but this was one. She ceased to be the sportswoman brooding on memories of Shikari and stared aghast. Goodbye, goodbye. But Mister Baxter, you are not leaving us, precisely. For the first time, Rupert Baxter deigned to recognize that the ninth Earl was present. I am not prepared," he said bitterly, "to remain in a house where my chief duty appears to be 
to act as target for Lord Imsworth's air gun. What? Exactly. In the silence which followed these words, Jane once more gave her uncle the glance of encouragement and stimulation, that glance which said, Be firm. To her astonishment, she perceived that it was not needed. Lord Imsworth was firm already. His face was calm, his eyes steady, and his pince-nez were not even quivering. "'The fellow's potty,' said Lord Imsworth in a clear, resonant voice. "'Absolutely potty. Always told you he was. Target for my air gun. Pooh! Pah! What's he talking about?' Rupert Baxter quivered. His spectacles flashed fire. "'Do you deny that you shot me, Lord Imsworth?' "'Clearly I do. "'Perhaps you will deny admitting to this lady here in the writing-room that you shot me. "'Certainly I do.' "'Did you tell me that you had shot Mr. Baxter, Uncle Clarence?' said Jane. "'I didn't hear you.' "'Of course I didn't.' "'I thought you hadn't. I should have remembered it.' "'Rupert Baxter's hands shot ceilingward as if he were calling to heaven to see justice done. "'You admit it to me personally. You begged not to tell anyone. You tried to put matters right by engaging me as your secretary. I accept the position. At that time I was perfectly willing to forget the entire affair. But when, not half an hour later—' Lord Emsworth raised his eyebrows. Jane raised hers. "'How very extraordinary,' said Jane. "'Most,' said Lord Emsworth. "'He removed his pince-nez and began to polish them, "'speaking soothingly the while. "'But his manner, though soothing, was very resolute. "'Baxter, my dear fellow,' he said, "'there's only one explanation for all this. "'It's just what I was saying. "'You've been having these hallucinations of yours again, "'and I never said a word to you about shooting you.' I never said a word to your, my niece about shooting you. Why should I, when I hadn't? And as for what you say about engaging you as my secretary, the absurdity of the thing is manifest in the very fact of it. There is nothing on earth that would induce me to have you as my secretary. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm rather be dead in a ditch than have you as my secretary." Now listen, my dear Baxter, I'll tell you what to do. You just jump on the motorcycle of yours and go on touring England where you do left off. As soon we'll find the fresh air will do you wonders for the pottiness of your head. In a day or two you won't know. Rupert Baxter turned and stalked from the room. Mr. Baxter, cried Lady Constance. Her intention of going after the fellow and pleading with him to continue inflicting his beastly presence on the quiet home life of Blanding's castle was so plain that Lord Innsworth did not hesitate. Connie! But Clarence! Constance, you will remain where you are. You will not stir a step. But Clarence! Not a dash step, you hear me? Let him scram! Lady Constance halted, irresolute, then suddenly she met the full face of the pince-nez, 
and it was as if she, like Rupert Baxter, had been struck by a bullet. She collapsed into a chair and sat there, twisting her rings. Oh, and by the way, Connie, said Lord Emsworth, I've been meaning to tell you. I've given that fellow Abercrombie that job he was asking about. I thought it all over carefully and decided to drop him a line, saying the pursuant on our recent conversation I was offering him Simmons' place. I've been making inquiries, and I find he's a capital fellow. He's a lamb, said Jane. You hear? Jane says he's a lamb. Just the sort of chap we want about the place. So now we're going to get married. So now they're going to get married. An excellent match, don't you think, Connie? Lady Constance did not speak. Lord Emsworth raised his voice a little. Don't you, Connie? Lady Constance leapt in her seat as if she had heard the last tramp. Very, she said. Oh, very. Right, said Lord Emsworth. And now I'll go talk to Beach. In the pantry, gazing sadly out the stable yard, Beach, the butler, sat sipping a glass of port. In moments of mental stress, port was, to Beach, what Whiffle was to his employer, or, as we must now ruefully put it, his late employer. He flew to it when life had got him down, and never before had life got him down as it had now. Sitting there in his pantry, that pantry, which so soon would now not know him any more, Beach was in the depths. He mourned like some fallen monarch, about to say good-bye to all his greatness and pass into exile. The die was cast, the end had come. Eighteen years, eighteen happy years, he had been in the service at Blanding's castle, and now he must go forth, never to return. Little wonder that he sipped port, a weaker man would have swigged brandy. Something tempestuous burst upon the door, and he perceived that his privacy had been invaded by Lord Emsworth. He rose and stood staring. In all the eighteen years during which he had held office, his employer had never before paid a visit to the pantry. But it was not simply the other's presence that caused his gooseberry eyes to dilate to their full width. Remarkable though it was, the mystery went deeper still. For this was a strange, unfamiliar Lord Emsworth, a Lord Emsworth who glared where once he had blinked, who spurned the floor like a metalsome charger, who banged tables and spilled port. Beach, he thundered in chargingly. What the deuce is all this dashed nonsense, Lord? You know what I mean about leaving me. Have you gone off your head? A sigh took the butler's massive frame. I fear that in the circumstances it is inevitable, my lord. Why? What are you talking about? Don't be a silly man, Beach. Inevitable indeed? Never heard such nonsense in my life. Why is it inevitable? Look at me in the face and answer me that. I feel it is better to tender my resignation than to be dismissed, my lord. It was Lord Emsworth's turn to stare. Dismissed? Yes, my lord. Beach, you're tight. No, my lord. Has not Mr. Baxter spoken to you, my lord? Of course he's spoken to me. 
He's been gassing away half the afternoon. What's that got to do with it? Another sigh seemed to start. At the sole of his flat feet sat the butler's waistcoat rippling like corn in the wind. I see that Mr. Baxter has not yet informed you, my lord. I assumed that he would have done so before this. But it is a mere matter of time, I fear, before he makes his report. Inform me? Inform me of what? I regret to say, my lord, that in the moment of uncontrollable impulse, I shot Mr. Baxter. Lord Imsworth Pinsney's flew from his nose. Without them, he could see only indistinctly. But he continued to stare at the butler, and his eyes were appeared as expressions, which was a blend of several emotions. Amazement would have been the chief of these, but it had not been exceeded by affection. He did not speak, but his eyes said, My brother. With Master George's air gun, my lord, which her ladyship left in my custody, I regret to say, my lord, that upon receipt of the weapon, I went out into the grounds and came upon Mr. Baxter walking near the shrubbery. I tried to resist the temptation, my lord. I was seized with an urgentness that I have not experienced since I was a small lad, and I shot. I plugged him? Yes, my lord. Lord Innsworth could put two and two together. So that's what he was talking about in the library. That's what made him change his mind and send me that note. How far away was he when you shot him? A matter of a few feet, my lord. I endeavored to conceal myself behind a tree, but he turned very sharply, and I was so convinced that he had detected me that I felt I had no alternative but to resign my situation before he could make his report to you, my lord. And I thought you were leaving because my sister Connie shot you. Her ladyship did not shoot me, my lord. It is true that the weapon exploded accidentally in her ladyship's hand, but the bullet passed me harmlessly. Lord Innsworth snorted. And she said she was a good shot. Can't even hit a sitting butler at six feet. Listen to me, Beach. I want no more of this nonsense of you resigning. Bless my soul. How do you suppose I could get on without you? How long have you been here? Eighteen years, my lord. Eighteen years. And you talk about resigning, of all the dashed absurd ideas. But I fear, my lord, when her ladyship learns, her ladyship won't learn. Baxter won't tell her. Baxter's gone. Gone, my lord. Gone forever. But I understood, my lord. Never mind what you understood. He's gone. A few feet away, did you say? My lord, did you say Baxter was only a few feet away when you got him? Yes, my lord. Ah, said Lord Emsworth. He took the gun absently from the table, absently slipped a slug into the breech. He was feeling pleased and proud, a champion so who preeminence is undisputed. Connie had missed a mark like Beach. Practically a haystack at six feet. Beach had plugged Baxter true, and so had young George, but only with the muzzle of the gun almost touching the fellow. It had been left for him, Clarence, ninth Earl of Innsworth, 
to do the real shooting. A damping thought came to diminish his complacency. It was as if a voice had whispered in his ear. Fluke! His jaw dropped a little, and he stood for a whole brooding minute. He felt faltering and discouraged. Had it been merely a fluke, that superb shot from the library window, had he been mistaken in supposing that the ancient skill still lingered? Would he, which was what the voice was hinting, under similar conditions, miss nine times out of ten? A shuddering, sputtering noise broke in upon the reverie. He raised his eyes in the window. Out in the stable yard, Rupert Baxter was starting up his motor bicycle. Mr. Baxter, my lord, I see him. An overwhelming desire came upon Lord Emsworth to put his thing to, t to the test, to silence forever that taunting voice. How far away would you say he was, Beach? Fully twenty yards, my lord. Watch, said Lord Emsworth. Into the sputtering of the bicycle there cut a soft pop. It was followed by a sharp howl. Rupert Baxter, who had been leaning on the handlebars, rose six inches with his hands to his thigh. There, said Lord Emsworth. Baxter had ceased to rub his thigh. He was a man of intelligence, and he realized that anyone on the premises of Blanding's castle, who wasted time hanging about and rubbing thighs, was simply asking for it. To one trapped in this inferno of Blanding's castle, Instant flight was the only way of winning to safety. The sputtering rose to a crescendo, diminished, died away altogether. Rupert Baxter had gone on touring England. Lord Innsworth was still gazing out the window raptly, as if looking at the X which marked the spot, for a long moment. Beach stood staring reverently at this turned back. Then, as if performance, some symbolic rite in keeping with the dignity of the scene, he reached for his glass of port and raised it in silent toast. Peace reigned in Butler's pantry. The sweet air of the summer evening poured in through the open window. It was as if nature had blown the all clear. Landing's castle was itself again. The end. That gave me a few chuckles. It was pretty funny. He's a really good author, and I've read a lot of his books and enjoyed them. I think, though, that we all understand we shouldn't lie like he did. It's part of the comedy in that he gets into so much trouble by lying. Lying is never a good idea. You always get into more trouble by lying. So the next book is called Who Was Julia Child? Uh, Julia Child was... A chef and she also had a television program but she has a lot more to her story and there's a short book about it that's actually written for younger people so I thought I would read that next and I'm excited about learning more about her too so join us for that who was Julia Child